missed you. Anna, I missed you too. I'm so excited to do this episode. Yeah, me too. I'm excited to chat with you, go over some cool space stuff. How have you been? What have you been up to? I hate when people ask me that because I'm like, almost nothing. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, what adventures can one have in this quarantine? (laughs) Literally, exactly. I guess my life has been a lot of, I wish I was reading more, but honestly, it's been work and then watching a lot of Modern Family because Modern Family is now on Hulu. Oh, so funny. It's such a good show. It just like, when I was in college, I would always watch it like on Saturdays. I would eat breakfast and just watch it after a whole week of terrible problem sets. It's funny. And you also don't have to pay like a ton of attention to it. And then it just feels like you're surrounded by a fun family. Ugh. That's awesome. That sounds relaxing. Maybe I'll watch Modern Family after this. You should have. There was this one time in college where my friends and I, actually this happened a couple times, we would just go to a lecture hall when we were trying to do our problem sets and then we play Modern Family in the lecture hall on the giant screens. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like fun. It was so fun. Oh, man. But yeah. How about you, Anna? What non-adventures have you been up to? <laughs> <laughs> I have found two podcasts I really like that I want to talk about. Ooh, yeah, let's hear about them. One is called You're Wrong About. I don't know how I missed this one because it's right up my alley and it's been around for a while. Two journalists, Michael Hobbs and Sarah Marshall. And they essentially just break down misconceptions of past events. So they did an entire one about the Stanford prison experiment, the Electoral College, the Exxon Valdez oil spill. It's really good. I like it a lot. And they're really funny, even when they talk about serious stuff. That's awesome. So they're basically like tearing apart or like dissecting kind of like the flat earthers of those situations. Yes, kind of. But it's not even that. It's things that I thought I knew. The Stanford prison experiment. Uh huh. Everything I thought I knew about that was mostly wrong. Really? Yeah. It's just like it actually wasn't that great of a study, even though it's used and referenced all the time in psychology textbooks fascinating there's a bunch of different episodes it's really good i've been binge listening to it then this guy michael hobbs he has another podcast with a woman named aubrey gordon named maintenance phase where they essentially just debunk different health fads and nutrition advice throughout the decades but they did an episode about the presidential fitness test you had to do that right hannah in high school gym yeah Anybody who has felt personally victimized by the president's physical fitness test. Oh my God, yeah. Please go listen to this episode because I felt so vindicated. (laughs) I'm going to go do that because I always get the stupid participant level, you know, because I could never do enough push-ups. I could never do enough (laughs) sit-ups. Dude, no me either. My flexed arm hang was horrible. I was like, of course I couldn't do a flexed arm hang for that long. I was 13 and I hadn't been training to do a flexed arm hang. Oh my gosh. I would like hope and hope and hope that it would rain on my old day. Oh my god. (laughs) I tore my ACL and I had ACL surgery when I was in high school. I was wearing a brace and they made me walk the mile. Oh my gosh. That's ridiculous. I know. I look back on that and I get so mad. It's so ridiculous. Yeah. I know. So if anybody has also felt personally victimized by the president's physical fitness test, please listen to this. They have an episode about it in maintenance phase. I'm definitely going to do that. I think it's because of the president fitness test that I still feel a sense of calm when it rains. (laughs) You're like, it's going to be okay. I do not have to run a mile. (laughs) I am not obligated to go do physical fitness outside. (laughs) (laughs) So mad. I'm like, I can do all these things now. 
I could crush yes. the physical fitness test now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which doesn't matter. Uh, oh, man. Okay. All right. Well, as much as you all want to hear about how I didn't like gym in high school. <laughs> <let's>, like... <laughs> Anna, should we introduce ourselves? Let's do it. All right. I'm Anna. And I'm Henna. And this is... But, but it, it is, is Rocket, Rocket Science. Science. All right, Anna. Do you want to introduce the topic of the day? Since it was your idea? Yes. Many of you probably saw Perseverance, the Mars rover, successfully landed on February 18th, 2021 at 12.55 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Woo! Woo! It was super exciting. Because of this, we should talk about the Sky Crane. Yes, that's right. Now, if you don't know what Perseverance is or you just want to learn more about it, we actually have an entire episode dedicated to Perseverance. It's episode 17. I would recommend you go back and listen to it before you listen to this one. Otherwise, you might be a little lost. Now, for those of you who listen to that episode, you may have noticed we left out one very important detail. The Sky Crane. <laughs> Someone actually contacted us about this. It was really sweet. They were like worried. Do you know about the Sky Crane? <laughs> it's really cool. You should know. It was a very sweet note. And we're like, we do know. We're so sorry. We didn't put it in the Perseverance episode. Because it would have been way too long, and we would not have given the Sky Crane the attention it deserved. Oh, yeah. We were cutting out a lot of content from that episode because it was already over an hour, and it was definitely heartbreaking to cut this section out. Oh, it was so hard, but it would not have gotten the attention it deserved. Completely. So, now that Perseverance has landed, let's talk about the Sky Crane. Yeah, let's do it. While I was researching... <laughs> <laughs> While I was researching this, I came across an article from astronomy.com written by Eric Burtz, and in it he says, The sky crane was the consequence of considering and then ruling out every other option engineers could think of to land heavy rovers. Which I think is a pretty accurate description. Now, the Perseverance rover was not the first time the sky crane was used. An almost identical system was used on the Curiosity rover. I'm actually not going to dig any deeper into why we chose, why we, like I was part of this (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm not going to dive any deeper into why this system was chosen. I'm going to leave that up to Henna. Instead, I'm going to get right to how it works. Yes, I can't wait. This is really fun. So then, again, another caveat. If you want to learn about the entire landing sequence, go back and check out the dedicated Perseverance episode where we discuss it. I will also have a great set of articles from the Planetary Society that I'm going to link in the sources, and they break down the entire landing sequence for Curiosity. It's very similar to that of Perseverance, and I reference them pretty heavily while writing this down. I'm going to skip right to the star of this episode, the Sky Crane. But to set the scene for you, Perseverance and the descent stage are still attached and less than 20 meters above the Martian surface, descending at 0.75 meters per second towards the surface. And I was like, that seems really slow. It is. It's 1.678 miles per hour. That's amazing that it can get to that precision of a speed, like that slow of a descent. Yeah, that shocked me. I was like, that's that's really slow. Yeah. <laughs> there are five steps in the sky crane maneuver. Before anything else can happen, the rover has to be separated from the descent stage. Now, this is done by firing a set of pyros. All right, I think these are explosive bolts. I confirmed this with Henna, who read in a different article that she's pretty sure they're explosive bolts. But the article from the Planetary Society I was reading only called them pyros, which is just a really generic term. I think they're explosive bolts, which essentially just means they're bolts that have charges in them 
they are fired, the bolts explode, and it severs the connection between the descent stage and the rover, except for this set of cables called a triple bridle. I literally had to Google this. It's just three ropes, which are connected to a single spot. If you have a hanging planter with three connectors around the outside of the pot that connect to one ring at the top, that's a triple bridle. That's exactly what I was imagining in my head. Yeah, yeah. But I had to Google this because I wanted to be sure. It's also a horse thing. So now I'm getting a bunch of ads for horse stuff. (laughs) (laughs) These three ropes connect to the single point underneath the descent stage, and that is called the confluence point. These lines then connect to three different points on the rover, so they make that cone kind of shape. Again, the best reference I can think of is a hanging planter. Now, what's really cool is I was like, why would they have all three of these lines connect to one point? That seems like a bad idea, more of a chance for failure. And the reason they do that is because this single, this confluence point is located very close to the distant stage's center of mass, such that the rover cannot cause it to tip. So if you had these three ropes connected to three different spots on the descent stage, the rover does not weigh the same thing in every spot, so it would cause the rover to tip. If you had the port side of the rover tacked to the port side of the descent stage, and you had the starboard port side of the rover tacked to the starboard side of the descent stage, if one was heavier than the other, the whole thing would tilt. But since all the lines are connected to one point at the center of mass, it doesn't tilt. Yeah, that makes sense. Otherwise, you'll have the descent stage will tip, the rover will tip, everything will tip. Yeah, it'll just be a big old mess. It'll be a big old mess. And it won't land evenly. Now that we've established what a triple bridle is... These three ropes are made out of nylon, and they hold all the weight of Perseverance. I assume these are some really beefy-looking pieces of rope, but actually in the pictures I saw, they don't look that much thicker than sailboat lines. So they are thicker than clothesline, but they're not super thick. I'm sure it's a heck of a lot stronger. Now, there's also a fourth connection that bears no weight, and that's the umbilical. This keeps the descent stage connected to the rover's power. The majority of the power for the system is on the rover, which makes sense because in the long run, the rover is what we are trying to get to land on Mars. So the descent stage is actually powered off of the rover at this point in time. At least that is my understanding of the articles I've read. Now, to slowly lower the rover, all three ropes are unwound simultaneously from a big spool, which has an electromagnetic break. I am not going to go into electromagnetism. (laughs) If we have Truth Corner or Anna's Truth Time, electromagnetism is a concept that I barely grasp and am not qualified to explain at all. (laughs) I get so confused. (laughs) If somebody can explain it to me, that would be great. (laughs) Anna, I get you. I feel that way about fluid mechanics. You totally get that, but I just super struggle with that concept. Everybody's got something. Mine's electromagnetism. I was in that class in college. I was like, it's magic. (laughs) I feel the same way about fluids. It's just a jumble in my brain. I just can't. You just can't get it. They're like, we have a bunch of wire and we're wrapping it around a donut. (laughs) I was talking to somebody about this. They're like, it's a toroid. I was like, you're not helping. (laughs) The right hand rule. <laughs> oh, God. Yes. So mine is electromagnetism. Henna is fluids. Together. Together. We make a good pair. So true. <laughs> What's important here is that it has a brake, and it uses this brake to control the speed at which the cable is unwound. As the cables unwind, the landing gear also deploys, preparing Perseverance to land. 
Now, unwinding the entire length of the rope takes only 7 seconds, and after its completion, Perseverance is only 7.5 meters above the Earth. So I read this, and I was like, wow, that's really not that high. Like, you can't just let it go from that point? Well, no, you cannot. So while it may not seem high, I googled it. It's a little less than a two-story building. As a little reminder, Perseverance weighs about a ton, and it's around the size of a compact car or a Toyota Prius. So if you just pushed a Toyota Prius out of a second-story window, it would not go well. Oh, not at all. It would get completely destroyed. Yeah. It. W- yeah. No, you cannot just... You can't, no, you can't do it. That would be a disaster. <laughs> it would be a disaster. You can't just drop it at this point. We still got some time to go. Now, don't forget, while this cable was unwinding, the descent stage is still lowering down at 0.75 meters per second. And in order to maintain this constant speed... There's a variety of sensors which need to feed into the thrusters on the descent stage, telling them how much force they need to put out. The descent stage will continue to lower, with Perseverance literally dangling below it, until Perseverance gets to the ground. I was like, that's great, but like, how does the descent stage know that Perseverance has hit the ground? I assumed it was a camera, I don't know why. But actually what happens is those sensors I was just talking about that say how much force the thrusters need to put out, Mm-hmm. is actually used to figure out when Perseverance lands. Once Perseverance has touched down on the Martian surface, the force these sensors are reading changes dramatically because it no longer has this weight hanging underneath it. So when it senses that dramatic change in force, it actually waits a second to see if the force remained constant and that it's not just a fluke or that it didn't just hit something on the way down. Once it has a second of this constant reading of this change in force, it confirms Perseverance has landed. Now, once this happens, another set of pyros fire. Essentially, it's like a bunch of blades on springs, which after these pyros fire, it causes these blades to come out and it severs the ropes connecting Perseverance to the descent stage. And it actually severs it close to the connection of Perseverance. The remainder of that rope is dangling from the descent stage. Wow. Yeah, because I was like, where do they cut the rope? Yeah. And so they cut it so the majority of it is still attached to the descent stage so it doesn't come collapsing down on perseverance itself yep exactly all these things i didn't think about yeah also can we just appreciate pyros like yeah they're so cool they're so cool if you're curious i'm sure you could find videos of youtube of explosive bolts or different kind of pyros coming out to cut things they're a neat system super neat i got to watch them be tested once like explosive bolts oh i bet that was fun so cool so cool anna was completely right earlier pyros is a very generic term and there's all sorts of different mechanisms within pyros i would highly encourage you to go explore go watch youtube videos it's so cool if you're looking for a youtube hole this is a good one <laughs> yeah it's all about the youtube holes right now let's be real Oof. <laughs> Oof. yes now after these ropes are cut they don't just stay dangling from the descent stage That spool that unwound them contains a spring, which causes it to wind back up when there's no weight on the ropes. And I was like, how does this work? Like, I could not picture it. But of course, the author of the Planetary Society article had my back. He was saying, did you ever have like an old school shop vac where to wind the cord back up into the vacuum you tugged on it? I didn't, but I can imagine what you're saying, like what you're describing. My parents had this old school shop vac. Actually, I think they still own it. I may be older than I am. And it had this really long cable. And to get the cable to wind back up into the vacuum, you did like a sharp tug on it. Mm -hmm. And it's a very similar system here. 
it's on a spring. So when it gets that change in force, that's why the cable winds back up into the vacuum. And it's a very similar thing would happen here to Perseverance, except on a very different scale. I thought that was cool. That's really cool. I think new vacuums also have that. Do, do they? Some of them will auto-wind the cable. Oh. I have a Roomba, which we've talked about. I have an unhealthy emotional attachment to. <laughs> but I also have a vacuum. But I have to wind the cable up by hand. <laughs> Roombas are amazing. I hate vacuuming. It's the worst. I always feel good when it's done. Yeah. The worst is when you're like, I need to run the vacuum. And instead, you just don't. <laughs> I've done the thing where it's like, okay, you know, I'm going to vacuum. But I'm going to vacuum in between breaks of a TV episode. Like, that'll be my motivation. Oh, that's a good idea. And then three hours will go by and I've only vacuumed half of my <laughs> living room. <laughs> Because I'll come up with excuses for every ad. You're like, oh, this one I'm going to get a snack. Exactly. This one's only 90 seconds. Oh, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Definitely the 90 seconds. Oh, you get me, Anna. Yes. Yes, I do. This is why we're friends. I do that to be like, I'm going to stop watching the show when I get to this ad. Yeah. And then I do not stop watching it. Oh, no. Just go right through the ad. No, and it's like, wait, I think I just had a marathon. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> the worst is when Netflix is like, are you still there? You're like, nobody asked you. <laughs> yeah, why so judgy, Netflix? <laughs> yeah, could we not have turned this feature off during the pandemic? What else am I supposed to do today? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Be nice to me here. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Netflix flaring up our insecurities. <laughs> <laughs> like, yes, I am still here. All right, the cables are cut, they wind back up into the descent stage, and then the electrical umbilical is cut. Previously, Perseverance actually had control of the descent stage, but now the descent stage is all on its own. And so you might be thinking, great, it's over, the descent stage is disconnected, Perseverance has landed, it's been a success. Not quite. The descent stage actually needs to get out of there. There cannot be a risk of it coming back down and damaging Perseverance. Once the umbilical is cut, the descent stage begins ascending straight up for a bit before it tilts 45 degrees and then it flies off. Eventually, the thruster shuts off and it crashes to the surface of Mars. And that's the sky crane. Anna made a really important point just now. If that descent stage started actually flying towards Perseverance or in its general vicinity, it could kick up a bunch of the Martian dust and rocks and regolith and that can impact the sensitive instrumentation on Perseverance. That's why it has to get out of there ASAP. Exactly. That's a good point. It's why they don't even want it to land close by. It's not just that it could land on Perseverance and damage it. All of that dust is part of the reason why Perseverance has to land so slowly. So we didn't kick that all up. But Henna's actually going to go into that more. That's right. I will. And then I ended this section of notes with, I'm going to go get some ice cream now. (laughs) No punctuation. Oh, man. I understand that. Sometimes I know Anna does this because she's told me before. But we'll be like writing out our notes and it turns into like this monologue. And it's very clear it's a monologue that we're having inside of our brains. And we're just having this full conversation with ourselves. (laughs) Sometimes I look back at them and I'm like, was everything okay? (laughs) I love it when I go through our notes and I'm just seeing just like random exclamations like, ooh, this is crazy. (laughs) It happens a lot. Yes, it does. And then I also get concerned for us. (laughs) But we both do it. So we're in this together. 
yeah. But now I do have a very important question. So what kind of ice cream did you get? Oh, my God. That is literally the only question I want to hear right now. Um, I actually made an affogato. You know what that is, right? Yes. Yummy. Coffee and ice cream. Yes. I poured a shot of espresso over some vanilla ice cream. Mm. Oh, that sounds amazing. Affogatos are those things that like you go out to a nice restaurant and it seems like a fancy dessert and you pay a bunch of money for it, but then you realize that it's so easy to make at home and you can make it really delicious. You can totally do it at home. Yeah. It's so good. I watched an episode of the Barefoot Contessa where she made one and I was like sitting on my couch. I was like, I need this. Oh my gosh. Barefoot Contessa is the bomb. Ah, I love her. Oh my gosh. And Jeffrey, her husband. Oh, they're so adorable. I love that they're like, it's Tuesday, so let's have the most glamorous picnic you've ever seen on the beach. <laughs> so I made an avocado. It's just magical. The espresso with the ice cream, my like two favorite things. So good. So good. It sounds so impressive. So it makes me sound real fancy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you're out there listening and you want to impress someone, make them an avocado. <laughs> oh, yeah, I would be impressed. Oh my gosh, your mom made these raspberry bars that were also a Barefoot Contessa recipe. And I ended up making them for a 4th of July party. And they were the bomb.com. Does anyone ever use the term anymore with the bomb.com or am I super old? <laughs> I use that term too. I also still have a side part and I wear skinny jeans. So, and I'm refusing to change. Oh, you got to get on that middle part, Anna. So. Oh my God, my hair doesn't go that way. <laughs> oh my gosh, all these trends. My, I'm not on TikTok, but I know Anna is and I know my sisters are. And they'll just send me random videos, and it just reminds me that I'm just getting old. And I luckily ended up with this middle part business so I f- <laughs> over the quarantine because I tried something crazy with my hair. Hannah's middle part looks good. <laughs> Thanks, Anna. Mine makes me look like I'm reenacting my third grade school picture, and I don't need to go back to that. <laughs> oh my gosh. I felt the same way. I put bangs to like split the middle part, like to section it off so it wasn't just a middle part all the way through so i have bangs now and it was like something wild that i tried over the quarantine they look really good thank you anna most people are like i cut bangs and you're like yes you did but henna's look really good (laughs) youtube saved me and i was very shocked when they actually came out good i was impressed you were so brave oh my gosh i mean there's no one else who's gonna really see it even if this gets messed up i have a couple months for them to go back oh completely yeah All right. Should we take a break? Yeah, and get back to the content people asked for. (laughs) (laughs) Let's do it. Let's do it. We're back, everybody. So Hannah texted me. She's like, I'm ready. I was like, oh, that's I forgot what I was doing and I haven't even gotten up. (laughs) this happens a lot and every single time we record one of us is definitely just hanging out on our phone and we forget oh we're in the middle of podcast (laughs) recording because a lot of times i do this after work so at this point you're just tired oh yeah our brains are just done yeah they're like oh i have a minute to do nothing (laughs) 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 let me forget about everything else going on (laughs) oh my gosh exactly (laughs) all right i'm really excited to hear about the history of the sky crane I'm excited to talk about it. Are you ready? Should we jump straight into it? I am ready spaghetti. Perfect. Anna gave us a fabulous uh, overview of what exactly the Sky Crane is. Thank you. You're welcome. 
I'm going to dive into the story behind how it came to be. Almost 20 years ago, when Curiosity, which landed on Mars in 2012, when it was being engineered, the sky crane system was being thrown out as a possible landing mechanism during this brainstorm design phase. So imagine being a design engineer in this room where you're vetting landing ideas. This is a really serious job, and you're trying to figure out how to land a bulky rover on Mars, and someone says, hey, how about we get a giant helicopter robot to this planet? And you're thinking, wait, this is a planet without a significant atmosphere, and immediately it just seems like a ridiculous idea. It's insanity. Yeah. Obviously, this was not an immediately popular choice. No way. (laughs) Then, (laughs) yeah, even the NASA administrator back then called it crazy. That was the exact word he used, crazy. It's really nuts. It really is. Anna already mentioned this earlier. This idea became the leading option when every other idea was shot down after weighing the pros and cons. I can't wait to hear the rest of the story. It is really cool. Let's talk about the evolution of the landing mechanisms. Why and how did we get to the sky crane? Decades ago, around 1970s to 1980s, NASA sent the Viking landers to Mars. And these Viking landers utilized both descent rockets and parachutes to bring the landers to a comfortable speed before landing. It's also funny. They say comfortable speed. That's what all the articles say. They were going really fast. (laughs) Their (laughs) definition of comfortable speed is very much not my definition of comfortable speed. (laughs) Oh my gosh, completely. (laughs) But it is the adjective they use to describe it. Yeah, it's like a speed at which they can land but not be a disaster for themselves. Comfortable for who? (laughs) (laughs) What's really cool about the Viking landing system is that the engineers designed special showerhead type rockets that would avoid burning the Martian surface during landing, because burning it would mean destroying any potential signs of life, which is what these landers were going to study. Oh, interesting. Because you couldn't just like have a rocket right on the bottom, you'd sear the Martian surface. Exactly. That's never occurred to me before. You know, it's never occurred to me either. I did take a mental note to like go check out these types of rockets. Like what does showerhead type of rocket mean? Like I understand like I can picture it, but it'd be really cool to see a YouTube video. Yeah, completely. Now let's fast forward a few years to around 1990 when Spirit and Opportunity, these two geologist rovers essentially, were being designed for Mars. They were going to go study the geology and atmosphere of Mars. Why couldn't NASA continue using Vikings landing strategy to land Spirit and Opportunity? Well, the issue was that the descent rocket's thrust could potentially kick back debris onto the rovers themselves, which could then impact solar panels and destroy any sensitive instrumentation on board the rover. Yes. Hannah actually mentioned earlier why the descent stage can't land too close to the rover. It will also kick up dust. Yes, exactly. And that's why the sky crane had to immediately fly away. Well, the descent stage has to immediately fly away, but it has the sky crane on it. So you're not wrong. I'm being a jerk. No, Anna, you're being fine. It's good to correct me. (laughs) Back then, engineers had to get creative, and they devised an airbag landing system. If you haven't seen images of the airbag landing system, you have to check it out. It looks like the rover is just surrounded by a giant bounce house as it lands. (laughs) It's so cool. It looks like the Michelin Man. It does look like the Michelin Man. It's so cool. (laughs) 
Opportunity and Spirit landed successfully on Mars in 2004. The landing system designs for Curiosity started in the late 1990s, and NASA engineers had to get inventive again. Curiosity was a large rover. It's the size of a compact car. It's way too heavy to be safely slowed down using airbags and parachutes, so they couldn't just rely on those two mechanisms. Now we're back at brainstorming. A bunch of ideas are thrown out, and one of them sounds out of this world, but also very close to home. Rob Manning, now the chief engineer for Curiosity, and years before the chief engineers for the Mars Pathfinder wrote to the chief engineer of the sample return team saying, have you thought about helicopter mode? Which was also referred to as rover on a rope. All I can think of is like old school soap on a rope. (laughs) Yes. Actually, that's such a good point. Like, it's just chilling on a rope. That's basically what it is. It's not wrong. It's like, what's the point? (laughs) This idea that they came up with was the sky crane. Anna gave us a fabulous description. So we understand why it's an out there design, but why is it so close to home? Well, because it's modeled after the Sikorsky S64 sky crane. Sikorsky is a company that specializes in manufacturing helicopters, and the S-64 in particular is a heavy-lift helicopter that had a six-blade main rotor, and it was powered by two 3,000-kilowatt Pratt & Whitney turboshaft engines. Whoa. So this is a beast. Yeah, that thing's huge. It's huge. The first prototype of the S-64 actually flew all the way back in 1964. Wow, no way. Yeah, so it has quite a history. That's cool. The S-64 Sikorsky heavy lift helicopter was actually used for purposes such as collecting giant logs and bringing them out of areas like forests, you know, hauling other heavy cargo. It was thought like, why not use the similar model for getting Curiosity safely on the Martian surface? Oh, interesting. They're like, we use it to carry really big logs dangling from a helicopter. So why can't we have a rover dangling from a descent stage? (laughs) Exactly. I can see it. I can see it. I can see it immediately. But then I start thinking about the Martian atmosphere and what a different world and problem that is. Yeah, it also gets scary when your center of gravity is like lower, more likely to swing. Yep. Which I'm sure is a major concern in the sky crane. Yes, that's a perfect lead into what I'm going to talk about next. Skycreen operates like a heavy lift helicopter, like I said, but it's powered by rockets, while the S64 had helicopter blades. There isn't much of an atmosphere on Mars such that a typical rotorcraft model could fly, like the Sikorsky S64. Therefore, the Perseverance Skycreen had rockets to lift it. The Mars Science Lab entry, descent, and landing team when they were designing Curiosity, so back to Curiosity, they even requested input from Sikorsky. They brought in a Sikorsky helicopter pilot to gain from their experience. Interesting. When the idea was first thrown out, the Mars Science Lab team put together a panel of experts from NASA. These experts had worked on Viking, Apollo, and the Delta Clipper reusable launch vehicle. Immediately, they just tore apart the Sky Crane idea. Aww. Yeah. Poor Sky Crane. (laughs) Poor Sky Crane. This was primarily because of what Anna said earlier. This becomes a two-body pendulum problem. Because you have two bodies, you have the Sky Crane, and then you have the rover dangling at the end of it. And you have these crazy dynamic forces acting on both of them. And you have this rover swinging at the end of the tether. It becomes this very complex 
risky two-body pendulum problem. That's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. Thinking about it now, it's like, wow, I can't believe they overcame that, obviously, because we actually have it working. If the rover doesn't come down completely at the same speed and completely evenly, the whole thing could start to swing. Yeah, exactly. And not land evenly, it could be game over. Yeah, any sort of imbalance. Yeah, is a big deal. And it becomes this giant controls problem. It's really crazy. Because this idea was torn apart, the idea was put to rest and not explored for almost a year later until 1999. At this time, the MSL team brought the panel back together, and this time they were ready. They worked on answering these questions that the panel had come up with. They were ready to answer all of these experts' concerns. Nice. The team was confident that they had a high probability of a successful landing. The team's system engineer at the time said, we have margins all over the place. What he meant by that was for every design decision they made, they made sure they had wiggle room. Margin is a very important term in any sort of engineering field. Oh, yeah. I only really learned about it when I started working in the aerospace industry. I think in bridges, you see it all the time. Yes. If the maximum weight a bridge can handle is 20,000 pounds, it can actually, is probably designed to handle 30,000 pounds or 40,000 pounds. Yeah, perfect, Anna. I was just about to give an example. Like if you had a robotic arm and you found that it would fail under 100 pounds of force in a simulation, then you would design your arm for, let's say you did 20% margin. 20% of 100 pounds is 20 pounds. So in total, your arm that you're designing for should be able to take up to 120 pounds of force until it fails. Exactly. You're just building in a little bit of extra just in case. Yeah, exactly. Another advantage that NASA had over previous failed missions to Mars was that their computers had become more robust and powerful over the years to handle lots of simulations. NASA actually conducted over 2 million Monte Carlo landing simulations. That is so many. So many. Monte Carlo simulations involve using algorithms recommended to use on a computer, and these algorithms rely on randomness. They will cover randomly generated possible events that can happen to provide an engineer with a more deterministic view of the problem. If you ever took a stats class, you probably talked about Monte Carlos. Yes, definitely in stats class. Monte Carlo simulations help the engineers determine what situations their landing systems would meet and in turn design more robust systems to survive the various situations. Nice. Yeah. As for testing of the Skycrane, the Skycrane was actually never fully tested because we can't simulate a Martian atmosphere in actuality on Earth. So the first time it was ever really tested was on Mars, which I think is incredible. It really is. You know, you really have to trust your math. The first time that system, yeah, was fully tested was when Curiosity landed. Perseverance was actually its second time around. Yes. Blows my mind. It's so cool. So now at this point, if you're like, wow, that's really awesome. There is video footage of it. There is some incredible video footage of Perseverance landing and you can see the sky crane. Yes. Check it out. I will link to a YouTube video in the sources. Just my personal favorite, but there's a lot of them. It's so cool. It's so incredible to see what engineers collaborating can create and 
how they put all this time and energy and they put all the math in and you can't test it on earth and you just trust the math, you trust the simulations, you trust the smaller tests and for all of it to come together on another planet, it blows my mind. It's really amazing. Yeah. So cool. Shout out to the entire team. Yes. Congratulations. Congratulations. All right. That was awesome. It really was. I'm really glad that one of our listeners reached out to us and you remembered it and brought it up again. This was a fun one. Now that it landed, I was like, oh, we can do the sky crane. (laughs) Anna, do you want to tell everyone where they can find us? I sure do. So you can find us on Instagram at But It Is Rocket Science. You can find us on Twitter at But It Is RS. You can go to our website, butitisrocketscience.com. We actually have a contact us page if you want to shoot us a little note. Maybe you have more episode ideas. Or if you just want to learn more about us, check out the website. Yes. I actually have a TikTok called Anna is Anxious. If you want more nerdy content or you want to watch a millennial woman figure out how to use TikTok, (laughs) check out my TikTok. You can find our podcast anywhere you can find podcasts. Spotify, Podcast Addict, Google Podcasts. That's a thing, right? Yes. (laughs) Apple Podcasts. And then if you really enjoyed us, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It means so much to us. We love all your reviews. Yes, please do. We'd absolutely love it. That's it. Do you want to do our sources? Yeah, let's do it. You want to go first? Sure. I used a couple of NASA.gov articles. There was a NASA.gov article just titled The Sky Crane. I used a wikipedia.org article about the Sikorsky S64. I used an NBCnews.com article about the sky crane. An astronomy.com news article about perseverance and the sky crane. Another NASA.gov article titled The Sky Crane Solution. And two other NASA.gov articles about Mars exploration rovers and the Viking missions. Nice. Thanks. How about you, Anna? What were your sources? So I had a NASA article that essentially just described when Perseverance landed, an astronomy.com article, which is the one I quoted from, again, about the sky crane and how Perseverance will land on Mars. I have another article from the Planetary Society just with images of Curiosity and the sky crane maneuver, another NASA website all about the sky crane and more images of Perseverance in the descent stage. I have an article from, I think it's phys.org, like physics. I have an article from phys.org, again, about the sky crane. And then I have these three great articles. It describes how Curiosity lands. But my understanding is that Perseverance uses an extremely similar landing sequence. It's in three parts. It's a really awesome set of articles. I would highly recommend you check them out. Awesome. And that's all I got. Perfect. You want to close us out, Anna? I sure do. Until next time, space cadets. T minus three, two, one, liftoff. Liftoff.